And the following weekend, Mrs. Thomas went as usual to Sunday morning service. When she returned to Mayfield Cottage, Kate was out. She must have spent an afternoon drinking because she didn't get back until late. Mrs. Thomas, who didn't like having the house left unattended, had, despite her fears, become quite impatient and annoyed when eventually Kate did return. Oh, there you are, Kate. Oh, nice you have been. You know I can't go to church until you get back. It's only a too bad of you. What's the matter with you? I've had more than enough of your influence. I give you the afternoon off, and how do you repay this? By coming home late. And if I'm not mistaken, intoxicated. <laughs> and I've had enough of you. You silly old woman. You don't think you can sell me off? Oh, you're scared to death, and I'm right, that's true. I wonder if I don't give you what's coming to you. All right, I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to my room. And you're going to leave in the morning. Have another night with you spend in this house. You awful person. And where are you going? To church. When she arrived at church that evening, Mrs. Thomas's friends noticed how agitated she appeared to be. She didn't sit in her usual seat near the pulpit, but on that particular night, she chose a pew close to the door. Probably her thoughts were not on what the preacher was saying. And this evening, I am taking the text of my sermon, the story of a faithful servant. As and now comes one of the strangest and most terrifying aspects of the case. Although Mrs. Thomas was almost paralyzed with fear, she actually went back to the house, went back to Kate, without even asking a friend to accompany her. You know the simile of the rabbit and the snake? Well, that's the only explanation I can give for her action. Perhaps Kate, when she originally came to the house, had not intended to murder Mrs. Thomas, but by the evening of that awful Sunday night, her mind was made up. Passers-by noticed that the gaslight in the hall was lit, Kate thought that a darkened house might scare Mrs. Thomas away. And by now, Kate was using all her evil cunning to attract back the fly to the spider's web. of Kate Webster. Now let us leave the murderess and cross over to the other side of the street to learn the story of the case as it affected Scotland Yard. It is now two days later. Henry Winkley, a coal porter living at Mortlake, is driving his cart along the banks of the Thames. Just before reaching Barnes Bridge, he catches sight of an object lying half in and half out of the mud of the Thames.
on my chair. Over there. Sticking out of the mud. It's a trunk, ain't it? Yeah. Well, you never know. Might be something valuable washed ashore. More likely old clothes. Ah, well, I'm going to have a look. Please yourself. Waste of time, I call it. It's a box. A wooden box. Here, come on, give us an hand. All right, all right. All right, let's pull it out of the water. Come on. 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 I leave the horrifying contents of the box in your imagination. reported his discovery to the police of Barnes. At first it was thought that the box contained the butcher's meat, but examination by the doctor revealed a more horrifying truth. Some of the newspapers of the day attributed the discovery to a hoax perpetrated by medical students. The police, however, thought otherwise. The person who did this had no knowledge of anatomy. The body has been roughly chopped up. No, this is no medical joke. But how in heaven's name we're going to identify the body, I don't know. For over a fortnight, the case rested. There was no way of identifying the human remains with any degree of certainty. And then, as nearly always, the criminal made a fatal slip. Inspector Pierman, the officer in charge of Richmond Police Station, received a visit from a Mr. John Church. Good evening, Inspector. Uh, what can I do for you, Mr. Church? Well, it's like this, Inspector. Of course, there may be nothing in this, but... Uh... Frankly, I felt a bit suspicious. And I thought the best thing was to go to the, see the police. Yes, very wise, Mr. Church. Now, uh, let's hear your story. Well, as I expect you know, I'm the proprietor of the Rising Sun, the pub in Royal Gardens. About a week ago, two customers of mine, Mr. and Mrs. Porter, and their son William, came into the saloon for a drink. They had with them a lady called Mrs. Thomas. She was rather a hard-looking woman, but quite well-spoken. Well, we got a talking of one thing and another, and this Mrs. Thomas tells me she's giving up her house and that she wants to sell the furniture. She's very nice about the whole thing, and polite indeed. <coughs> yes, I've decided to move. Here, I want to get tired of the place. If you get a good offer for the furniture, I'll sell it tomorrow. Well, of course, it all depends on the furniture. And if you're interested, why don't you come and have a look at it? Hold on a minute. I haven't said I want to buy it. Well, there's no harm in having a look, is there? Why don't you come? Oh, well, maybe I will. I went down to Mayfield Cottage in Richmond. That's a uh, house. Nice little place. 
she opened the door for me and showed me around the house. Very nice of you to come around. Come into the parlor first. Well, thank you very much. Hmm. Very nice, too. Hmm. I'm glad you like it. You see, I'm getting ready to go. I've got all the papers ready. Come into the dining room now. Who's this for, folks? Oh, that. Mr. Thomas, my life husband. When did he die? Several years ago. Natural death, I hope. Oh, yes. Most natural. What made you ask? Oh, I don't know. I was reading about that box they found in the pens last week. Oh, those newspapers. Can't believe a word they say. Like the furniture. Yes, very nice. Nobody depends on how much you want. Yeah, we won't quibble. Well, let's start making a list of what furniture you've got. We'll see what it amounts. I made her an offer for the furniture. The following Monday, I went round to the cottage, and together with Mrs. Thomas, we got some of the stuff loaded up to move away. I was just walking out to the van when I noticed Mrs. Thomas speaking to her next-door neighbour. I couldn't help her when hearing. Oh, what happened to her? Where is she? I don't know. But you must have seen her. I tell you, I don't know. Well, it's most unsatisfactory. If she disappeared, you ought to go to the police about it. You ought to do something. I don't know about it at the time, but uh, that night, Mrs. Thomas came round to the rising sun. She looked a bit excited and borrowed a pound off the missus. The following day, I went round to collect the remains of the furniture. Mrs. Thomas's next door neighbour, who had the key of the cottage, she locked the door and I couldn't get in. I sold Mrs. Thomas the money, or rather the deposit, and I didn't have a note of it. When I got back to the pub, I had a good look through the furniture and already collected it. In the wardrobe, I found a dress, and in the pocket was a letter signed by Mrs. Thomas. It was not the same handwriting as the Mrs. Thomas I knew. Kate Webster's impersonation had failed. Inspector Pierman, the officer in charge, immediately set to work. He went round to Mayfield Cottage, the residence which Mrs. Thomas, alias Kate Webster, had so recently left. Sergeant, come over here. Yes, sir. Look at this copper. Seems to burning somebody. If one of the men is mistaken, something human. cottage was full of evidence that the bird had flown. Flown where? Kate Webster, who had been so ingenious in perpetrating a crime, had lost her nerve. She had gone to the one place where the police were sure to look, her home in Ireland. On the 28th of March, she was arrested there and brought back to London. focused upon the case. The horrible circumstances on which the body had been removed from the scene of the crime attracted the attention of newspapers and the public. Whilst the case against Kate Webster was already a formidable one, another link was added by a fresh that came forward. Now you will recall how Church, the publican of the Rising Sun, had first met Kate Webster in the company of a Mr. and Mrs. Porter and her son, William. This young man related how Kate Webster had used him to aid her in her flight to justice. We had not seen her for several years until she came round to us that evening morning. 
She told us that she found us some money. She'd married Mr. Thomas, who was dead, and had been left to us having much money together with all the furniture and everything. She said she was going to live with her parents in Scotland and wanted to sell the property. She asked Dad if she knew anybody who would be interested in buying it. Dad thought of Mr. Church. That's when we went to see him. After that, the rising sun, she asked Dad if I could go home with her and give her a hand with a trunk she wanted to lift. He said, all right, and so they went back together. It was a wooden box tied up with cord, and she told me that she wanted to be to Richmond Bridge to deliver to somebody who was buying it. She's here, isn't she? Well, we're fine now. Oh, I didn't know for seven years. Well, I didn't bother to go. We're at the bridge now. Where are you meeting, your friend? Just here. Fill the box over the shelf, too. That's it. There. Well, shall I, shall I wait here with you? No, you walk back. I'll catch up with you. I don't see anybody. Get off with you. All right. I'll walk on down with us. Come on. dark and I was a bit nervous, but I walked to the end of the bridge and stopped there. I waited a few seconds, and then I heard you. I wondered what it was, and then a few seconds later, she comes up to me. Oh, there you are. I told you to walk on. I was nervous. What are you going to be nervous about? Nothing. What's happened to the box? I've given it to my friend, the one who's bought it. You must have come up quickly. Yes, it is. Now, don't stand here all night. You'll get along with you. Anyone would think you were frightened of the dark. William Porter identified wooden case as the box which he had helped Kate Webb through the carriage of the bridge. The chain of evidence was complete. On Wednesday, the 2nd of July, 1879, at the Central Criminal Court in London, she was brought to trial. But this time, she put her nerve. Her defense was ingenious, but unsuccessful. Now, is there any other person in custody for the murder? You ought to be. The innocent shouldn't suffer for the guilty. I didn't kill Mrs. Thomas. It was Church who did it. Well, Miss Arden personated her. Then to get her money like I've done before. I brought Church down to the house and it was he who killed her. He took me up to him. Well, I'm innocent. But her line tricks were not up. Church had been direct in his dealings with the police and there was no reason to disbelieve it. Realizing that her original defense was leading nowhere, Kate changed her story once again. But by this time, the more she lied, the more her lies were apparent. All right, I admit I helped with the murder, but it was Church who really killed her. I helped cut up the body. It was on the Sunday, but she didn't. She'd come back from the services. We killed her then, the two of us. But we had to, we had to. I followed up the stories and she slept, and it was an accident. Lie upon lie, each contradicting the other until at last even Kate Webster realized there was no hope. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. On the eve of her execution, she confessed to the crime, but even then the habit of lying had not entirely left her. 
In her signed statement, she said... I went up to and we had an argument with what you can do at And imagine my anger and rage was thrown from the top of the stairs to the down floor. Never ever fall. I thought that she was seriously injured and I became angry that what had occurred. Lost all control of myself and to prevent her screaming and getting me into trouble. I caught her by the throat and then the struggle she was choking. I threw it on the floor. But if this story was true, the next-door neighbor would have heard at least some sound. No, Kate, right up to the last moment, lied and lied until she could lie no more. Well, that's the story of Kate Webster. The next time you see dust on the mantel, or you can't get anybody to scrub the front door step, don't complain of the servant problem. After all, there are worse things than having no servant at all. You might have one like Kate Webster. I'll be back again soon to tell you some more of the secrets of Scotland Yard. Meanwhile, there is my book saying goodbye and pleasant dreams.